Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to mobilize to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ACCOKC. Acts chapter 1, we're beginning a new series, and you can see up here the graphic. We're going to be looking at the book of Acts as God's kingdom mission for the church. We're going to be studying this book together, asking God to write the book of Acts on our hearts and our minds. And today we're going to do a brief introduction. I'm going to provide a little roadmap as we journey, we begin to journey through the book of Acts. Then we're going to focus on the opening five verses, do a little introduction, and then I also want to suggest something. I suggested this in our weekly update, the email that went out. I'm going to encourage you for the coming weeks and months to linger in the book of Acts. And I recommended reading a chapter a day or maybe a half chapter. Some of the chapters are pretty long. You can break it into bite-sized pieces, and I would encourage you As a church, let's linger in the book of Acts together and see what God might have for us. It's the only recorded, inspired church history that we have. It's the first church history ever written. And so, friends, I want us to lay hold of it, to prize it, to realize what a privilege it is to be able to read and study and obey the Word of God that's such a gift to us. And I do want to say up front that there's lots of great resources out there. If you'll put the slide up, I'm actually going to recommend this brief Bible study. So in addition to reading the book of Acts and praying through it and maybe even doing that with other people, I recommend this Bible study. It's by John Stott, British evangelical scholar, and it's Acts, Seeing the Spirit at Work, And it's very helpful to help you dig in. You can get that on Amazon for a few bucks. It's not much at all, but it will help you. And heck, somebody could lead a group on this in the coming days. Lots of resources. And I will say up front that in addition to Scripture and a good study Bible, I'm using some helpful commentaries. If you really want to geek out on the book of Acts, The commentary that I would recommend is by Daryl Bock, B-O-C-K. It's fantastic. I'll be gleaning from him and John Stott, Craig Keener, and other people. I don't know where I'd be without the help and the resources of other Christian, spirit-filled people that have given decades to studying the book of Acts, so I'm grateful for that. So, Lord, we, uh, as we open the scriptures, we ask for the spirit of wisdom and of revelation right now, Lord. We thank you for the gift of the written word of God. And we thank you that the words of scripture bring us to the living word, Jesus. So we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come and speak to us and teach us and cause our hearts to burn just as you did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We ask that we would be a community of the burning heart. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would kindle fire in our hearts, even this morning, as we read and look into and study 
the words of Scripture, and we pray in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. So what I want to do here is we begin 28 chapters. What we'll do, as we did with the book of Revelation, we'll go at it about three weeks, and then we'll have an interlude. We'll have an opportunity for someone else to come in and teach on a different topic. But there is something about working through a book together that brings us on the same page. It unifies us, and it helps us dig especially deep into a book like Acts. So I want to do a few intro things today, and then we're going to be off to the races looking at these verses together. So typically what you do when you're beginning a series like this is you look at the author, the title, the recipient. So I'm going to do that very briefly here. The author of the book of Acts, as I've mentioned, Acts is part two of the Gospel of Luke and Acts together. And so traditionally, the book of Acts has been attributed to Luke the physician. And that goes back to the second century. Some of the early church fathers said that Luke the physician wrote this. He was a companion of Paul. And what we'll see in the book of Acts, there are a number of passages they call we passages, especially in chapter 16, where all of a sudden in this story, the Acts of the apostles, the acts of the Holy Spirit, it switches to we. And so it seems that Luke, the physician, was actually with the apostle Paul on some of these journeys, and we'll be hearing more about that. The title, obviously, is Acts, and that comes from a Greek word, praxeus. You can hear practical in there. And Historically, people have called this the Acts of the Apostles, right? So if you open your Bible, you'll see there that oftentimes the header says the Acts of the Apostles. But I want to say it's actually the Acts of God. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and through the other disciples. So what we're going to see, friends, in the coming weeks, coming months, is that we are looking at the very Acts of God through his people. And we're going to see that this is really just the opening chapter. It's just the beginning that God continues to act through his people until the return of Christ. The date, we don't know. We're not sure, but sometime between 62 and 70 AD, it appears to have been written. And let's look at this. Why don't you look at Acts chapter 1? And I'll be referring back to Luke chapter 1, because again, this was written on one scroll. It was Luke-Acts. Part 1 was Jesus, the Gospel of Luke, and part 2 is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. Luke chapter 1 shows there that the book was written to Theophilus. Why don't we go ahead and read verses 1 through 5? Acts 1, 1 to 5, and the first book, Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
So friends, this was written to this person, Theophilus, and Theophilus, his name literally means friend or beloved of God. And so people have agreed that this is definitely a literal person, but it could also represent to all the future beloved of God, all the future friends of God. The book of Acts is important, we'll see here, because it serves as a bridge in several ways. One, in a literary way, it serves as a bridge between the Gospels and the letters of the Apostles. Another way it serves as a bridge, we'll see here, we're going to drill down into this, is geographically. We'll see that the book of Acts spells out this story of the expansion of the church, the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem, where it all started, all the way deeply into the Roman Empire, and we'll hear more about that next week. It's also a bridge, historically, the first 30 years of the church are outlined here. And so, friends, this is our story. This is like opening up a a family, a photo album, and seeing these are our fathers and mothers in the faith, and we get to read what happened those first 30 years. There are many themes and purposes here, as we'll see. Themes like receiving power from the Holy Spirit and being witnesses of Christ. Another theme is to demonstrate the unstoppable progress of the kingdom of God and the Gospels. It's also to provide a a history of the church. And then as we'll see also, the book of Acts gives a defense. We're going to find the Apostle Paul time and time again before Roman leaders giving answer, giving explanation that adds legitimacy to the Gospel, to the kingdom of God, to the church. So let's dig in to verses 1 through 5. You'll see there in that first line there, verse 1, Luke, the writer here, says, In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning. So he's signaling, remember back to the intro to Luke. And Connie and I talked about the ending of Luke, but he's just saying here, Luke was about all that Jesus began to do and teach, which suggests that the book of Acts is Jesus continuing to do and teach in and through his church, through his followers. Hidden in that, look at that verse 1. Jesus did and taught. Two interesting verbs, huh? This is a vineyard value based on this text right here. At All Saints, we don't want to just teach because Jesus didn't just teach. He did. And unfortunately, a lot of the American church, we do a lot of teaching and we speak about it and we love the Word of God and that's wonderful, but Jesus taught and did. And so we are committed to that. And as the book of Acts unfolds, we're going to see time and time again, how we're supposed to do the gospel, how we're supposed to actively engage in the kingdom of God. We do and we teach. Luke's gospel ended with the ascension of Jesus. Why don't we look at that very quickly? Luke 24, 51. Again, it's important as we begin to move into Acts here. 
to just acknowledge the intrinsic connection between the Gospel of Luke and the acts of the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, I'm going to read 50 through 52 again because it ties into what we're looking at in this intro to Acts. Acts 24, uh, Luke 24, 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, Jesus blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. Verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple blessing God. So that's the background here, the ascension of Jesus. And if we come back to Acts 1, we see that Jesus was carried up into heaven. So this is kind of like you're watching a TV show and they say previously on Whatever it is, we're hearing a previously. Luke ends his gospel with the ascension of Jesus and how stunned the disciples are watching this happen. And then Acts recaps it and says Jesus is ascending into heaven. Look at verse 2, Acts 1, verse 2. Jesus is giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he has chosen. There's lots of words that we need to address and unpack that we don't just take for granted. The word apostolos, the word apostle means a, an agent who's commissioned and sent. We'll be learning more about that. The 12 disciples, the 12 representatives that Jesus has chosen. Friends, they're a special group of people in the book of Acts and in church history and they're the ones who are sent out to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. It starts with them. And we'll see in Acts chapter 3 that in chapter 4 that these were ordinary, uneducated men that the Lord Jesus selected. But he anointed them, he chose them, and for all time they're remembered as those who were sent initially to take the gospel to the nations. What we'll see in the book, though, is that there are also non-apostles, like Philip in chapter 8, who function like the apostles. They preach the gospel, they preach the forgiveness of sins and repentance, and they are also performing signs and wonders and doing miracles in the name of Jesus. So there's apostles, and then there's others who are doing the ministry of Jesus. Look at the verse, what it goes on to say there gives instructions to them through the Holy Spirit. We saw over the last few weeks that Jesus gave instructions to his disciples through the scriptures. Do you remember that? In Luke 24, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Do you remember in Luke 24? Now here, he's giving them instructions through the Holy Spirit. That is, Jesus is speaking to them in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the authority of the Holy Spirit. But just like he said in the Gospel of John, he's explaining, he's letting them know that I'm about to leave and I'm going to leave you with the Holy Spirit. 
the advocate, the teacher, and he will be with you and he will teach you. He will empower you to carry on my ministry. So he's letting them know that he's about to leave, ascend into heaven, and he will continue to instruct them through the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is valuable for us because as we've talked about this morning already, we want to be instructed by Jesus through the scriptures. Luke 24. At the same time, we want to be instructed by the Holy Spirit who actually inspired and wrote the scriptures. You see it here. People of the book, people of the spirit. Look at verse 3. For 40 days between his resurrection and the ascension, Jesus is presenting himself alive to his followers. He's giving them many proofs. You see that? The middle of verse 3. The word proof here, something that is to be known in a convincing and decisive manner. The Greek term here is used for proof that points to a conclusion. So I want to ask you this morning, does Jesus still give proofs of his resurrection? Who wants to come up here and answer that question? It's a great question because the text asks it. It suggests that this was certainly a unique moment in salvation history, in church history. It was a unique time. These are the original apostles and witnesses of the resurrection 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 8 talks about it, the establishment of the church. But Jesus can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants. So he can still appear to people. And if you study missions, contemporary missions, especially in places where the gospel is trying to be prevented from being shared and the church is under the clamp of things like communism, Jesus appears to people and speaks to them in dreams. I've got a friend in Istanbul, Turkey, who is actually a pretty radical Muslim, and Jesus appeared to him in a dream and baptized him in the dream. And he woke up a Christian and sought out a church secretly and became a follower of Christ because Jesus appeared to him. Jesus can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whomever he wants. So he can give proofs like that. But friends, the scriptures make it clear that there are lots of different walks in this journey. Do you remember Thomas at the end of John? The apostle Thomas said, I am not going to believe until I see the marks in his hands and I'm able to touch his side. And Jesus graciously accommodated that and appeared to him in John 20, 27, it says, and he tells Thomas to his face, stop doubting and believe. And he went on to become a great apostle and messenger and planted churches, and it became the movement that went into India. And the kingdom of God and the gospel went into India because this one-time doubter encountered Jesus and experienced proof and went on to give his life and live for Jesus. So friends, the Lord may give you the proof that you ask for and that you plead for, but he may not. 
because he calls you and me to live a life of faith. In that same chapter in John, where it talks about the appearance to Thomas, Jesus says that blessed are those who have not seen me, the resurrected Jesus, and yet have come to believe. So friends, I've shared openly about my own struggle with doubts and faith. And I don't think that I'm alone. I think that if I asked to have people share openly, we could probably have an open mic for several hours about your own struggle with doubt and unbelief. And I will say this, All Saints is the church for you. So if you have doubt, you have doubt that Jesus was raised from the dead, All Saints is a church for you. Because faith actually wrestles with doubt. They interplay. They're not exclusive of one another. I've shared this quote before, but it's probably my single favorite paragraph in any book outside the Bible because it deals precisely with this. It's by a, an Eastern Orthodox brother named Callistus Ware. Can I share what he says? Every time I read this, it slays me. He's talking about faith, and he says, faith is not logical certainty, but a personal relationship with God. Because this personal relationship is as yet incomplete in each of us, it needs continually to develop further. Listen to what he says here. It is by no means impossible for faith to coexist with doubt. When I read that, I said, hallelujah. The two are not mutually exclusive. Perhaps there are some who by God's grace retain throughout their life the faith of a little child, enabling them to accept without question all that they have been taught. For most living in the West today, however, such an attitude may not be possible. We have to make our own cry, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. For very many of us, this will remain our constant prayer right up to the very gates of death. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yet, doubt does not in itself signify lack of faith. It may mean the opposite, that our faith is alive and growing. The act of faith is in constant dialogue with doubt. So friends, I don't think we hear enough about that. That if you have doubt, you have skepticism, you have serious, deep questions about the Christian faith, about the creed that we recite together, it's okay. Young people need to hear that because we're just hammered with skepticism and doubt and deconstruction. And you know what? The Lord can handle all of that. He's not intimidated at all. There's not a single argument that can bring the kingdom to a screeching halt. There's not a single argument that can de deconstruct the Bible and the Christian faith. He can handle it all. And you may be sitting there saying, well, you have no idea how deep the doubt is. He can handle it. He sees it anyway, so the idea that we can kind of shield it and say, I need more proof on it, he can handle it. But friends, I will tell you this. 
life without God, life without the living presence of Jesus is not fun. So it may come down to, at times in your walk with Jesus, am I going to go at it alone? Or am I going to cling to him in faith? And so, friends, the scriptures give great room for this. You with me? And he may give you proof, but he may also say, why don't you look around and the apologetic, the proof of changed lives is enough. Who else can change a life like Jesus? Who else can change your life like the Lord Jesus? He's the only one who can set you free, grant you holiness, purity, get you off drugs, restore your heart. So I just want to say here in this text as we look at this, that there is room for all of us wherever we are. Amen? Jesus spoke with them over 40 days. And 40 is a number that conjures up images from the Old Testament, right? Exodus 16, the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 days. So it may be suggesting that just like it was then, a number of completion. And what did he speak with them about? Look at the the text there. At verse 3, he's talking with them about the kingdom of God. What we'll see is... As it was with Jesus, all through the Gospel of Luke, like 35 times, he's talking about the kingdom of God. It was the essence of his message and his ministry. And we're going to see the same thing in the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. The message of the kingdom of God is going to continue to extend. Look at Acts 28, just so you can see. Just like any other book, like any other Film, the beginning and the end are very important, aren't they? So look at how the book of Acts ends. Begins right there in chapter 1, verse 3. Just so you can see here how important, how central the kingdom of God is in this book. So Acts 28, 23. And again, we'll get to this in time, but 28:23. after they had set a date to meet with him, they came to him, this is the Apostle Paul, at his lodgings in great numbers. From morning until evening, he explained the matter to them, testifying to what? The kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Then if we don't get it there, look at verse 31. Paul is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus. So if someone asks you, what is the central theme of the book of Acts? You can say the kingdom of God. The rule, the reign, the will of God, the dynamic presence of God. And if you're visiting us here today, I would say, why don't you consider coming with us? We're people of the kingdom. We're submitting our lives to to Jesus. He's our King. He's our Lord. And we are all in and we invite you to join us in this kingdom journey that we're on. Lastly here, verse 4. Jesus gives some specific orders and instructions, doesn't he? Verses 4 and 5. He orders them to wait 
to not leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that crop up over and over again in the book of Acts. We'll see it in chapter 2 especially. The the Father's promise is a thread that runs through Luke-Acts. We'll see that the Holy Spirit is a central figure in the book of Acts. And friends, the Holy Spirit is a person. The third person of the Holy Trinity. The Holy Spirit's not a thing. Not a gas. Some kind of ethereal something. The Holy Spirit's a living person. And so this is the acts of the Holy Spirit through his people. We'll see in Acts 5 that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. And so what we want to do as we lean into this book and read it together is welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the resurrected Jesus among us. Verse 5, Jesus says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what Jesus did in the Gospel of Luke and what he's doing here, he's showing that everything is rooted in the Old Testament prophetic promises. The new springs from the old. We're going to see this. This is a common theme that's often overlooked in the book of Acts. The importance of the previously written scriptures. Jesus models it, the apostles model it. They open the scriptures and they expect God to move based on what is written. We're going to see that Pentecost, the apostle Peter says, this is that, what is written here. And friends, that's a model for us. We want to open the scriptures. We want to search out what God is doing and then expect the Lord to do that again. Everything that we are here as a church, rooted in the word of God, rooted in the reality of the kingdom among us. Why don't we stand? So next Sunday, we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. We're going to see the outline of the whole book of Acts, the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Friends, I want us to be awake and alive. This is a story, a narrative of the resurrected Jesus doing his work through his church. And we get to be part of it. We get to be a part of this kingdom story, the kingdom of God coming to the earth. So Lord, we ask in the coming weeks that you would cause our hearts to burn. You would write this on our minds and our hearts, that you would give us hunger for the word of God like never before, that we would actually see the acts of the Holy Spirit among us, in our groups, in our homes, in our workplace, in our schools. We ask, come Holy Spirit.